Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Wonderful to see you guys. I must just be honest, I'm incredibly proud to call Life Changes home. I really am. Just to stand in the front and worship and hear just blasted of Hera, just blasting Jesus' name over my head. I was like, come on, this is awesome. Singing with a bunch of people and then seeing stories like that, which are just one of many. And I just want to say, if you're looking for a church home to belong to, I'm very biased, but I think this is the best one to join. <laughs> I think it's a great one, but it's really good to have you here this evening. As Mark mentioned, my name is Gabe Phillips. I get to be one of the pastors here at Life Changes. I'm also a husband to a lady named Fiona, and we have a little girl named Olivia who on Friday took her first steps. Come on. Come on. Amazing. It was, a, it was a dramatic moment, if I can say so myself, you know, just as, as those, those two little legs just started to, to, one in front of the other, and, and she wasn't holding on anything, for, and it was, it was more like a gentle free fall, but it was one forward motion. We claimed it as walking, but as the weekend's gone, she's got more and more confident, and it's an amazing thing. One of the high points of my life, if I'm being honest, uh, I just felt it all reflects on my great parenting. But uh, this dramatic moment, it, it had a bit of a downer when I suddenly realized that this is incredible. I'm telling people, my daughter can walk. My daughter can walk. Then I realized n- nobody at the age of 20 or 21 puts on their CV, I learned how to walk at age 14 months. No, it's like, it doesn't that impressive anymore once you get past a certain phase. It's not like, oh, that's really cool. But, you know, at that little downer moment, you know, I just wanted to, so I spoke to Olivia. I said, Olivia, come on, man. Just, you know, walking's great, but what about fractions? What about algebra? Come on. Let's exercise those giftings. But uh, I wouldn't be a good father if I had done that. Because actually, for me as a father, I had to um, understand to walk this journey of being a dad is to celebrate these moments. They're little milestones. Because actually, as a father, I'm not expecting perfection from her. They, this little thing called walking, it's more, as I said, it's more stumbling. It's more uh, holding on to something quickly before we take another step. With dad and mom cheering every step of the way. As a father, I'm not, I'm not looking for perfection, but my job as a dad is to look for progress. I think that's good. That's a good statement, my friend. As a parent, my job is not to look for perfection, it's to look for progress. That actually, if she's still stumbling in 16 years' time, then there's a problem. I've got to have to have, sit down and have a strong talking to her. But actually, my job as a dad is not to demand perfection from her, but to cheer on her progress. And I want to say that up front this, this evening, as we launch into a new series, uh, uh, what we are trying to do, it's just echo the heart of the Father. And the Father is looking at us with joy, not as an accountant with a, 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 a ruler or a measuring stick saying how far they're falling short or how much further they've got to go. No, He's a dad with joy, cheering on your progress, cheering up. No matter how many times you fall, do you pick yourself up and take another step in faith? And we pray that this series would be for you and I to pick ourselves up and take steps of faith into the more that God has for us. So I hope you're excited and encouraged this evening. So speaking of steps of faith, speaking of walking and legs, Why don't you use both of yours and stand up on your feet. We're going to read scripture tonight. Acts chapter 2 is where we found verse 38 to 47. We're going to read it together. It says this. Peter replied, this is on the back of a sermon. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves. Can you say that with me, those three words? 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray this evening. Father, I thank you this evening as we come with faith in our hearts, as we've lifted our eyes, as we've worshipped you, and now as we come before your word, I thank you in this, this moment, Father, would you be putting faith in our hearts, not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers. I thank you, Father God, that tonight, no matter where we find ourselves on this spectrum of this journey called faith, whether looking in from the outside or having been a part of this journey for many years, would we today take a step further into the fullness you have for us? I thank you, Father, and we find there's a Father who's cheering on our progress every step of the way. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? It's really exciting to preach this evening, and this series is so exciting for us because we've been planning and talking about it for a while. But just some context for those who are unaware, uh, this, this chapter is launched on the back of the Holy Spirit being poured out and people just being encountering God for the first time and Peter standing up and preaching this dramatic sermon that, that has incredible results. He preaches and 3,000 men, not counting the women and the children of the day, that's how they did their, their, their tallies in the day. So a, a crowd larger than 3,000 responding to the gospel. This is a revivalist dream. Reinhard Bonke, eat your heart out. This is just like, wow. 3,000 people just run to the front to say, actually, we want to give our lives to Jesus. And it's this amazing thing that actually once that happens, then as we read the end of it, this incredible community forms. Where it's like just dramatic thing without skipping a beat, without taking a breath. It just almost runs on as a narrative and says, salvation comes. There's no like course in between. There's no, um, actually, we're going to have this seven-day th- program for you to understand what the basics of Christianity. Or we're going to teach you how to do giving now. No, no. It's like this dramatic run on. They get saved. They give their lives to Jesus. And this powerful community forms where they are, there's generosity, people selling things, giving it to people who don't have. They're distributing the money. Nobody had need in the community. There was unity that was just so uncommon for the day. There was people praying. There was people, it was just, everything was all in for this thing of community and what God was doing. It's a, it's a pastor's dream. It's just like church explosions, explosions, exploded. And, uh, the incredible thing that links these two things of 3,000 plus people finding Christ, re- responding to the gospel, and this community forming that we, are, I, I, if you've been in church any length of time, this Acts 2.42 community is like almost idolized. It's like maybe one day we can get to that sort of community. That would be incredible. And we pray, God, would you give us that type of community, a people who, who don't count their things as their own, the people who look out for the weak and the broken, the people who, who, who give their all in worship. We, we prize this community, but actually we're saying in this series that there's this linking thing that I made you say out with me. These three words that were so provi- profound as we read this text is that from the salvation moment to this community being formed to these three words that says they devoted themselves. It's a powerful, powerful thing. You see, and actually it's powerful for us in, this con- in, the, in our culture today with the word devotion. It's one that we're not too familiar with because actually if we just look back over the last few years, just, I just remember the Time magazine headline when Princess uh, Diana and Charles got divorced. It was shock, horror, cannot believe that would happen. This was a fairy tale for life. 
Divorce? No ways. A mere two decades on, we all are like, none of us are taken by surprise. We almost are almost just waiting for the next celebrity marriage to fail. We just almost know it's around the corner. Divorce is no longer a taboo word. It's almost just something that happens. It's a cultural. It's another thing where we see in, in our, and back in the, a few years ago, a few decades ago, men would get the, the handshake and the watch after 50 years of service at the same company. Now, it's, it's not uncommon for people after three years to start getting a bit itchy and say, I think I need a change. Watchmakers everywhere are furious at this because the sales are declining. But it's, I mean, this is not a, a comment on that. It's just this is a cultural understanding of our day, so much so that actually I get nervous when my profile picture hasn't changed after a month. I'm nervous. I'm going to change that thing. This is the culture we live in in our day and age. I want to say it's in, in this sort of understanding that we, we've got this problem of understanding what true devotion and commitment looks like. And I want to point to this little picture that will be behind me now. If uh, This is the, our understanding of what commitment looks like. In this picture, the chicken was dedicated. The pig was committed. The pig was all in on this journey of bacon and eggs. The, the chicken was just, just contributing. But devotion, probably not. But you see, we're not approaching the scripture diet from our cultural lens and trying to push our culture into the scriptures. We're saying allowing the scripture culture to come into our hearts and change the way we respond. So I want to take us into the Jewish culture of the day that this was preached, this was understood, and the, the very ethos of the people. You see, it starts at a very young age. In the Jewish culture, every six-year-old boy would, would, would be joined, would be pushed into a way of schooling that was full of devotion and dedication. From the ages of 6 to 10, every Jewish boy would join the Bet Sefer, which is the house of the book. And for those five years, they were taught nothing else but by a rabbi. They were taught the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. These five books, they were taught it. They were, it was expounded to them, and they, they, they imbibed it. So much so that actually the teachers, the rabbis, would come and put honey on the pellets of their, on the, of their mouths, and would tell them this, this honey that was so, it's a delicacy for them. They say, let the sweetness remind you that that is what the word of God must be to you from a young age. And, and at the age of 10, it was expected for these kids to know the whole Torah off by heart. I'll tell you, at the age of 10, I was still struggling with my three times tables. It was, just, it was tricky. But these kids were on another level. This hunger and desire for the word of God was in their culture and who they were. This devotion. And at the age of 10, what would happen was the rabbi would come, and the rabbi would come to them, and he would try and get the, the response and see how far these guys had done in this education system. And what he would do is, those who couldn't quite make the grade, those who stumbled upon some phrases, who couldn't quite get it all together, he'll say, you guys have tried really hard, but I'm going to ask you to go and do what your dad does. Go enjoy your dad's trade. So your dad was a plumber, go learn how to do that. Your dad was a cobbler, go learn how to do that. But the best of the best in that group would go into the next section, which was the Bet Talmud, the house of learning. For the next three years, from the age 10 to 13, they would then learn the rest of the, the Old Testament scriptures as we know it, the rest of the other 34 books that make up the Old Testament scriptures. They'd learn them off by heart, not just those books, but also the oral traditions that went along with them. This was the higher grade education system of devotion. And at the age of 13 came another moment of, of, of the cut where the, the rabbi would come and say, sorry, you didn't quite make the grade. You're not quite getting it. Go learn what your dad does. Go learn a trade. But then he'll say to the best of the best, next level. And this final level is called Bet Midrash, which is house 
of the teacher. And what they would do is they'll give the next few years of their life, not just to, to just learn these scriptures, but now to really imbibe them, but actually learn how their, their rabbi taught those scriptures. So much so that it was not, not uncommon for a rabbi, his, his interpretation, different rabbis had different interpretations of the scripture. So a common phrase would be, rabbis would get up and say, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. It was common for a rabbi to do that. So that's why in Matthew 5, when Jesus gets up in the Sermon on the Mount and says, you have heard it said, now I say to you, it was not a new practice. This is what rabbis did, gave the interpretation. And a rabbi's interpretation was called his yoke, which is powerful because a few chapters later, Jesus will say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's powerful. This is when we understand the culture of the day. But what this rabbi would do, he would do this and these boys, young boys, teenage boys would follow this rabbi because the rabbis were the rock stars of the day. The, the families were devoted to see the children become like these rabbis. Every child had four goals as they followed their rabbi. The four goals were, number one, to be with their rabbi. Number two, to learn their rabbi's teachings. Number three, to become like their rabbi. And finally, to carry on their rabbi's teachings once they were done studying. That was their goals. That was their life orientation. And so much so that after this process, a rabbi would come with the boys in their late teenage years, and he would come up to them, and he would, he would, he would quiz them, and he would ask them all the questions of, and interpretations of the laws of Moses and of his, his yoke and try and apply it. The best of the best, the, the, the ones who didn't quite make it, just like, go do what your dad does. The very cream of the crop, the best of the best. He would say these words that were so powerful, that were laden with, with, with joy. Families would celebrate if their kids heard these words. They would say, the rabbi would say these words, which was like the equation of a Harvard degree. He would say, come follow me. These were words that were said by a rabbi to qualify the best of the best to say, you can follow me and you can become like me. And it's so much so that actually at these moments of celebration, families would get blessings upon their kids where the blessing would be, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning, would you be able to follow him so closely? Would you be so devoted to this rabbi that as you follow him, the dust from his feet would cover you? That was a sign of blessing that you were at the front of the queue, the best of the best. This is a powerful thing because as we read the scriptures, we find there was this other rabbi named Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was coming with new interpretation of the law, telling his yoke and saying, you have heard us yet, now I say to you. And he arrives on the scene on the shore of Galilee there, and he's walking, and he sees a couple of fishermen. Two young boys. And this rabbi comes, and he finds these two young boys, and, and as I said, what were they doing in this moment? They were fishing. And the scriptures tells us, with their dad. So these, by, by understanding process of elimination, we realize that somewhere along the line, these boys who were Jewish boys who went along the same path as every other Jewish boy had missed the grade. They had been told, go do what your dad does. They had never heard the rabbi say, come follow me. There was no celebration. There was no, yes, my boy's done it. There was no, look at the photo on Instagram, my boy's following this rabbi. There was none of that. They were learning the trade. But along comes this rabbi who says, come follow me. These are not new words. This is, because I've always thought, if, why would they just follow this ob guy who just appeared? And like, if I was their dad, I would tell him, stranger danger. But, but, but scripture doesn't tell us if there's angst with the parents or what's going on. Why? Because this was a rabbi saying something that was normal. Come follow me was not something Jesus made up. It was in the tradition of the fabric of the people. He was, but the amazing thing was powerful is in that moment, Jesus was saying to these young guys, though you've been disqualified by the system of the day, you can become like me. You can become like me. Come follow me. And the Bible tells us that immediately they dropped their nets 
and they followed him. Why am I telling us this this evening? As you see, we often use this word, Jesus calls these guys and they become his disciples, those who follow him, his apprentices, students, those who devote their lives to follow him, to be covered in his dust, to be near him, to be like him, to learn his ways, and then to carry on his teachings into the future. They gave their lives to be devoted around this. Too often in our culture, and I'm guilty of saying this myself, we have turned the word disciple into a verb. Let me help you here. In scripture, the majority times the word disciple is used, it's used as a noun, something you are. But too often Christians leave churches, Christians don't grow, Christians don't take steps forward and don't mature into who God's called them to be because they put the onus of their growth on somebody else. Maybe you've heard it said this way, nobody's discipling me. Unfortunately, Scripture doesn't give us that latitude. It doesn't take away the the, the thing of of, of mutual relationships, but actually the the implication of Scripture, the majority lens, is that the word disciples are now something that you are. Let's just do it. Actually, if you write the word discipling into Microsoft Word, a red line comes underneath it. It's not a real word. Christians have made it up. Discipling. It doesn't work with any other word. What are we? Believers. No one believes you. No one's believering me. No one's Christianing me. It, it sounds ridiculous, but yet we so often put the onus, I need, if only I had a mentor, if only I had someone. Now, I'm not disqualifying the onus of that, but actually, when Jesus comes and says, come follow me, he's putting the responsibility on the people he's calling. Where am I going here? Let me help you here. Is let's look through this text. As Jesus says, come follow me. We'll look at it now. I'll be on the screen there. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The first part of it, he says, is follow me. And he introduces this idea of devoting ourselves to him. Devoting ourselves to him. When he comes to his disciples, he's not saying, listen guys, I've got a new thing for you. I'm gonna, I would love you to come follow me, but keep going your fishing. We can do it two to three o'clock on Tuesdays. Thursdays, if you've got a gap, maybe after your sport, we can chat again. We'll just, we'll, I'll work around you guys. No, no, when Jesus says, follow me, they leave their nest. They leave their former way of life. They leave the center of who they were, and they revolve their whole entire being around this person called Jesus. Everything changes. This idea of devoting themselves k- kicks in. You see, and we, I think we've been guilty of selling ourselves in our Western culture, this, this, this low, 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 low standard of following Jesus, where we've left it down to just believe. Put your hand up, pray, pray, and hey, that's great, well done. When actually, yes, it is true, believe, but actually when you look at the words believe, it's not, when, when you're looking at Jesus, it's not just this light and fluffy thing. He says actually believing looks like something. It looks like following. Francis Chan uses this example. He said, Francis Chan, when he was preaching, preaching in America, he came and he got a balloon and he put it on the corner here, put a big balloon that he blown up, and he picks up his rifle. Dramatic moment in church. I, I, I don't have a rifle. So I just couldn't do that. I apologize. I have to talk you through it. Just imagine. But he's well, a well-renowned renowned shot. So he's amazing. And he can just hit targets. And he's quite famous for it. So he picks up his rifle. And he walks out of the side of the stage and says, cocks the rifle and says, how many of you believe that I'll shoot this balloon? The hands go up. They're like, we've seen your Instagram account. You're a machine at this. You're a boss, bro. They all put their hands up. I'm like, okay, cool. Who's going to come then and hold the balloon with me now? Whew. Most hands go down. There's like 10 guys. Uh, Foolhardy guys, just, you know, just sticking around. He says, okay, great. Out of you 10 guys, I need one of you to come up, hold the balloon in your teeth. All the hands go down. So, says, so you don't really believe I can do it? 
You know, because you see, we have been sold so short that actually just believing is just a hand-raised moment. But actually, Jesus introduces the comment that if you believe, you're going to follow him. Let me help us unpack this. Because actually, in this story, at, the, at its very core, the gospel is participatory in nature, not just some doctrinal points. The gospel is participatory in nature. So often you'll meet people and say, hey, what do you believe? No, I'm a five-point Calvinist. You know, I believe in, I'm a post-millennial. You know, and then there'll be, and, and all these different points of agreement. Oh, you're yeah, very smart. You must be really learned. As Homer says, learned, son. Learned. Simpson jokes. But anyway, in this moment, but actually the, the, what Jesus, Jesus never came to give us a new doctrinal statement. Now, doctrine's beautiful. Doctrine for life and goodness. Yes, we've got to understand it. But if that does not translate to following Jesus... We're falling short. You see, if I went to my daughter Olivia in a few years' time and I said, Lives, your room's a bit messy. I'd love for you to go clean it. If I went away half an hour and I came back and Olivia said, Dad, 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 you know what? I've memorized what you said. Let me recount it for you. You said, go clean your room. And actually, Dad, I went one better. I went and looked up the words. I've learned the Greek and Hebrew of go clean your room. And actually on Tuesday, I've got a group of friends coming around. And we're going to just throw around this idea of what it would look like if we implement go clean your room. It's going to be powerful. No, no, I'll go, lives, go clean your room. That statement is requiring action. Not talk, not participating. And, and that's actually the understanding is the gospel is not just something to accept. It's something to enter into. It's not something just to believe. It's something to follow. Let me say it this way. Jesus isn't looking for fans to wave his little banner. Yay, Jesus. He's looking for followers. And when I say followers, not a cheap Instagram follow. I, I followed God on Twitter for a while. That was interesting. Um, I just did. But, you know, we, on, we think following means on Instagram, I'll follow your page. But it's amongst Bieber's page, Kanye, flick through our mates. Oh, there's Jesus. Yes, I love it with the scripture quote. Mm. I'm following you, Jesus. Flick. No, no, he's not going to be wanting to be one of many. He demands to be central in our lives, devoted to him. You know, as I, as I think through this, I go, if I was walking with Jesus, I'd want him to be, I'd love to have been Jesus' PR guy. I'd love to have helped him a bit. Because sometimes I think Jesus, if I'm honest, to, if he was trying to build a crowd and get, hey, get people going, he said some really inflammatory things. I don't know what you've brought in about Jesus, but Jesus said these sort of things. Let me help us through it. A guy came to him and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I can imagine disciples going, ooh, this guy's got bucks. He's going to be good for the ministry. Get him in, Jesus. Jesus says to him, foxes of holes, birds of nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Basically, follow me, you might be homeless. So the guy went, um, out of here. I can imagine Peter going, oh, Jesus. You're killing us, buddy. You're killing us. And Jesus goes on, and Jesus would say a thing. A guy came and said, I want to follow you, but first I've got my dad's funeral. I'm going to go bury my mom. And Jesus goes, let the dead bury the dead. I was like, yeah. This thing's killing us. And the guy went away sad. Another guy came and said, I'll follow you. Jesus said, sell everything. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Guy turned away. Jesus said, finally, he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And it says the crowds left him. It says the disciples were confused. This Jesus, uh, maybe just, it just really was tough. But it's what the, the, the commentators call about Jesus, the inclusive exclusivity of the gospel. Inclusive that God so loved the whole world. And as arms as we've been preaching in the series, all for the one, he will run. There's no sin that will go is too far for God. There's no place too hard for him. There's no, there's no heart that's too broken for his restoration. He loved the whole world. It's inclusive. Yet, 
that whoever believes, not just mentally nods to his direction, because can I tell you why? Even the demons believe. But those who follow him will have eternal life. It's inclusive, but it's exclusive. There's only one way. Maybe this evening you're going, this is really hard, Gabe. I wish I'd come last week when there were sevens. That was more exciting. Yes, it is hard, but thank goodness the scripture doesn't finish there because it says this. It says, come follow me. And the next part says, and I will make you. I will make you. What I love about this is that tense is present continuous. Jesus does not love a future version of yourself, but he does call you by a future name. What I mean by that is that he sees where you are, but he is more concerned where, where you're going. All through scripture, he calls a man Abra- Abraham. He says, Abraham, you're going to be named Abraham, which means father of many nations. That stage, he had no kids. For 25 years, he had to live with that name, Abraham, father of many nations, with no kids. Because Jesus was calling him by a future name, who he was becoming. Peter was a man who was a man who flew off the handle, who was wild, who was loose. God said, I'm going to call you, Jesus said, I'm going to call you Rock, Cephas. Everyone, Cephas, this guy, he's all over the show. And he fell apart many times like Olivia. He stumbled along the journey, but he was becoming. God was making him into something. Often, salt and light. You are the salt. You are the light. I I don't think so often. But God is making us into something. You see, this journey, as I said, is progress. It's not perfection. It's taking steps of faith into the future, what God's got. Even maybe stumbling steps, but taking steps no matter which, no matter which, how you're feeling. Taking steps of faith, not being stagnant. Because actually, this is a journey that God's got us on. Slowly, little by little, a process of chipping away anything that does not look like Jesus. There's a man named Michelangelo. He made the great statue of David. And as he chipped away and this incredible statue emerged, they asked him, how, how did you do it? He said, simple. I chipped away anything that didn't look like David. That's what Jesus is doing with us. He is making us. When we come to follow him, he's not saying, come follow me and perform. He says, come follow me and I will make you. Here's the thing we begin with with a series of devotion. The fact that it says this, I will make you. Now, let me help us understand. Come follow me is addressed to individuals. As I said, he says, the onus is on you to be a disciple, to follow me. But the incredible thing as you read the text, it says, I will make you. That you there is plural. It says, individuals, you come follow me and I will make you into a community. You can't read that I will make you as if it's addressed just to you. It's, it's not just addressed to you. It's I will make you. It's plural. The original language is plural. And what's powerful about this is that this statement here, we believe for this this series, is that you cannot be a fully growing Christ follower. You cannot become more like Jesus outside of community. It's just not the design of God. There's no online course you can go, how do I become more like Jesus, that is apart from a community. You You can take steps towards Him. Yes, there's growth in different areas, but not fully outside the community of God. It's all over the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures. This is who he's saying. Where, where does it start? It starts when Jesus gets up and he says, let me teach you how to pray. He says this, our father. And all the individuals go, why didn't he say my dad? Why didn't he say my father? It would have been so much easier. I wouldn't have had to care about these other people around me. He didn't say it. He said our father. And at that moment, canceled out the option of any of us doing this alone. You see, we go back to our disciples. He gets to his uh, disciples and he says, come follow me. 
And I can imagine there's Peter, who's the fisherman, the foul-mouthed fisherman. There's Simon the Zealot, who's this wild uh, politician who lived, believes in r- the, the right-wing politics. Then you've got this, this tax collector we learned from the last series who was so hated by these guys. There's even the greaseball Judas who never pays for his own lunch. And they're all there together. And Peter's going, I'm in. Come follow me. You, I'm coming. I want to be that guy. Devote myself to you. But not with him. Can I do Mondays? Can he, can he follow you on Tuesdays and Judas... Maybe half of Thursday, just remedial lessons. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't give them options. He says, come follow me and I'll make you. And a group of antagonistic, very different men start to follow Jesus together. Because Jesus says, actually, it's not up to your preference. It's my community that I'm fashioning you in. I will make you, I'll form you in community. You know, it's even, even this understanding of personal devotions, personal quiet times where you, you Instagram your, your nice leather-bound Bible with your coffee cup and it's just, oh, it's beautiful. And you post a nice inspirational hashtag, which is one of the, no, no judgment. But actually, personal quiet times, which are brilliant. Yes, Jesus went, alone to, went away to be alone. But actually, they're quite new things. Why? Because in the, in the culture of this day, none of them had their own personal copy of the Scriptures. That's why the, 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 the writer in, in, the, in the New Testament says, Devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures. Do not neglect it. The books of the Bible, the new letters, were not written to individuals. The most majority were written to groups of people. They would gather, and actually the priest would read it out to them. They would gather. That was their connection point with the scriptures. A communal gathering. Yes, we are privileged to read this on our own, but actually their understanding was to follow Jesus, was to follow it in community. This thing is so, so powerful is that actually we tell the story often here. But before I get there, one last thing. That's why we say in Life Change, we, on this thing, we, we don't do members. Just to let you know, we don't do members here at Life Change. Cannot be a member of Life Change Church. Because we see in the scriptures the word partner is used. Because we're not here to do a service for a group of congregants to bless you and you go. No, no, we see we want to be a family who do life together following the way of Jesus and becoming, letting him make us in community. So we do partnership, as Paul says, partners in the gospel. So we partner together. That means we suffer, partners suffer the profits and they suffer the loss. Partners carry both of those. They don't just say, no, you take the bad stuff, I'll take the good stuff. They're in this thing together. This is what covenant partnership means. And actually for us, it boils down to this sort of understanding of how we grow in community. Rory Dyer tells us the story of, he, when he was in the army, and they were so finely drilled by the sergeant major of the day, that when the sergeant would say, about turn left, everyone would turn left in unison. It was just a sight to behold. Except for the one guy who was deaf in his left ear. So when everyone turned left, he was always just a fraction behind them because he was trying to keep up with the sound of the sergeant's voice, and he would turn just in time. But it was so noticeable. Until, and this went on for a while until the sergeant called the private and said, come in private, I need to have a word with you. And the private went in knowing, maybe my time's up. And the sergeant said, you know, it's not really going well with you. And he goes, I know. He says, you know what I have to do. Private said, yeah, you're, probably, you're going to kick me out. Says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take you from the side of this troop. And I'm actually going to put you right in the middle. He says, so when you don't hear my voice, when you can't hear the clarity of my voice, you don't know what I'm quite saying, you copy the guy on your left. Let me say this, for us in community, I'll be honest, as a preacher, I don't always hear his voice clearly, clearly, clearly. There are moments where I'm like, I'm not too sure which way to go, God. Now, I'm not talking about black and white issues. I'm just saying there's some things where I'm like, I read scripture, God, which way must I go? 
How do, how do I respond when my baby won't sleep as a new parent? How do I respond in this moment? How do I respond as a husband who's supposed to be submitting to his wife but, and um, leading his wife and laying his life down for his wife and loving her as Christ loved the church? And yet I'm so selfish sometimes. How do I learn this? Stuff? How do I know how to do it and respond? How do people learn in this community to, to suffer, uh, to, to lose loved ones and still worship Jesus? You don't learn that stuff from an online course. Actually, the way God wants to make me is he puts me in a family where I've got moms and dads around me where I can look at marriages and say, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my cue off them. I don't know. I can't hear what to do, but I'm going to follow them. When I, when, when, when I don't know what to do, when moments of hardship, I look to an Andrew and you and I say, God, I'm going to take my cue off them. I'm going to take my cue off them. They're not perfect, but they're making progress. They keep stumbling forward. Within. That's, that's what God's doing. When I don't know what to do in my marriage, I look at other people's marriages. People encourage me. Parents will encourage me. What to do with my finances? I, I want to be generous, but I just really was struggling with the budget. I don't know how to do this. In community, I get in the middle and I say, I need help. And Jesus says, I'll make you. I'll make you. This is the beauty of devoted. Devoted to Christ and in the same breath, devoted to community. I want to help us. This, this sermon ends with the last thing. It says, I'll make you fishers of men. For time's sake, I just want to say that as you become more like Jesus and go on this journey, you realize that's not just about you becoming more like Jesus. Maturity means that actually I stop looking to myself and I stop looking around me at the community and saying, they need me to play this role. They need me to be the one who stands when they can't stand. They need to be the ones who see me when, and, and when they can't hear his voice. That's called maturity. You get on his mission. And actually, the more you do that, you realize that you're still being made more like him because you're giving away. And he says, I'll give more back to you. This is the beauty of community and following Jesus. So I want to say in this moment, as I land, the same man, Peter, who preached a sermon that we read at the beginning, Acts 2. He stands up and preaches a sermon. There was a moment in between his call and this incredible sermon where Peter... This man who'd given his life to be devoted to Jesus, to be devoted to the community of faith, following Jesus, letting the dust of his rabbi cover him as he followed close, close behind, being with his rabbi, learning his rabbi's teachings, becoming more like his rabbi, trying to take on his rabbi's teachings in the world. He's following him. There comes a moment where Jesus is arrested and taken off to be crucified. And scripture tells us that Peter, just before he denied Jesus three times, these three words appear, Peter was following at a distance. Following at a distance, I've underlined in my Bible. Because I want to say too often our hearts, we get this moment where we say I'm all in with Jesus, but we get distracted by life, we get disqualified by life, we get daunted by life, and then we start to drift from Jesus and dare I say from community. Most often times, we drift from community first. Here's my challenge this evening for us. I said Jesus is here. And he's coming to disqualified, broken people like you and I, people who have not made the grade, people who have not, who've missed the cuts, people who have not stepped up to the mark. And he walks up with a smile on his face like a father looking at his little girl, taking stumbling steps and says, come follow me. Afresh, he looks you in the eye and says, come follow me. But I've gone through a really tough time. Come follow me. You can be like me. You can become like me. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for progress. Walk with me. Walk with me. And I will make you. I will fashion you into a community that makes fishes of men. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ has spoken.